Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag and I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right, I mean? No, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there the re-watchingtons bomb and it's full Ooh. and unadulterated cut early drops of cinephobe episodes and so much more said the og pod now is it new or is it old mace i'm glad you asked that it is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old og pod oh. so it's me zach trey Waz, tom i love those guys just like we always were going back to the true hoop days mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic recapturing it and putting it back out we're talking hoops we're talking pop culture and most importantly we're talking for 40 minutes for free mm-hmm. but then another specific patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes funny enough about that og pod you're getting tom and trey on mondays you're getting me and waz aka zosny on wednesdays a means floating in between i'm a floater you never know when you're gonna get a mean in those so you gotta listen to them all and what if i'm not sure what maze looks like because i've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora he's got a weird voice how can i see for myself what this maze character actually looks like it's crazy you don't know the answer to this mm. because it's the cinephobe pod youtube page what the ct5s on the cinephobe pod youtube page you can look at all of us you can get all the og pods on youtube too at count the dings one on youtube at cinephobe pod on youtube patreon.com slash count the dings gets you everything all in one feed you can link it to your spotify and now enjoy the show hey listener underdog fantasy is the easiest place to play fantasy sports also the fastest growing fantasy app in the industry you can play pick them pick whether your favorite players will have a higher or lower total in each stat for this week's games for a chance to win big you can actually win up to 100 times your money in a single night that's right i didn't say 10 i didn't say 20 up to 100 times your money Pick between two and five players, build a pick'em entry. My favorite feature, you can make rivals picks. Pit two players against each other. Wembenyama versus Nikola Jokic. Tim Hardaway Jr. versus Norm Powell. Kawhi Leonard versus Steph Curry. Who knows? Maybe Grayson Allen versus Pat Connaughton. You get where I'm going with that. You can do it all with Underdog Fantasy. Make sure you sign up today with the promo code DING. That's D-I-N-G. And get your first deposit doubled up to $100 as well as an instant pick'em special. Visit underdogfantasy.com or find them in the app store. And don't forget to register with our promo code DING, D-I-N-G, to get your first deposit doubled up to $100 as well as an instant Pick them special must be 18 or older and present in a state where underdog fantasy operates terms apply concern with your play call 1-800-522-4700 or visit www.ncpgambling.org. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the latest edition of the Woke Bros. Of course, I'm your co-host, Big Waz, a.k.a. Wazney Lambre, 
Nando Vila is out this week, but we are joined by a very, very special guest. He's the returning guest. Um, he's a professor of Africana Studies at Morgan State University. He is the author of The Myth and Propaganda of Black Buying Power. And the second edition is on its way. Dr. Jared Ball, thank you for coming back to the show, brother. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Of course. Uh, and it's man. here. It's here. The second edition oh, is so here. Oh, so it's here. It's so we're going to have out. the link ready ready for you yeah, guys. Absolutely. Fired up. Y'all can cop that immediately. Yep. Um, really exciting stuff, Dr. Ball. As I told you last night, uh, Black Power Media is a big part of my media diet. And so I'm constantly in, you know, um, consuming what you guys are putting out, right? Um, I love some of the stuff you guys are doing with <laughs> earn, your, <laughs> earn Your Liberation. <laughs> uh, just just the idea that you guys are debunking this. this. So just to bring, bring it back for, for the listeners of the show, because a lot of people are Black, but a lot of people aren't, right? And if you're Black, you've heard people talk about buying power, this concept of buying power, this concept that Black people have not elevated themselves to the level of the Jews or to the level of the um, Chinese people more recently, to the level of all these other groups because we don't practice unity with our money, right? It's this concept that the Jews, uh, uh, the, 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 the circulation of the Jewish dollar takes like, I don't know, 35 days to leave the Jewish community, whatever that even means. Um, whereas the black dollar, it's like no time at all. And we're squandering our buying power. Um, to me, this becomes even more ultra relevant because I think the NBA, what I cover for my main job, Dr. Ball, is at this very interesting intersection of Jewish elites and really prominent black people and that weird tension that often plays itself out in the culture. And I remember during the NBA bubble, uh, <laughs> I remember they allowed the players to put messages on their jerseys. They could change their names uh, from, from Jersey. And I remember Andre Iguodala, I think he was in Miami at this time. He might've still been with Golden State. Um, what he decided to put on his, uh, the back of his jersey was group economics. Uh, this, this idea to me again, that just means like, do what the Jewish people do. They're always buying with each other. They're frugal, they're this, they're that. They're everything that black people are not in. My main problem with this sort of ideology, because that's kind of what it is at this point. It's an ideology. It's this idea, and I think you guys talk about it a lot on Black Power Media, that Black people are the problem. It's not the system. We're not going to critique the system. The system is perfectly fine. It's that Black people aren't using the system to their benefit um, enough. And I think a lot of that comes through within this concept of a black buying power and what black people could do with all this buying power they have. And we're just squandering it, Dr. Ball. And I do want to ask you, you know, so I can finally shut the hell up. What made you want to write the first book in the first place? Well, the short answer is because of what you just described that so much of the conversation centers around the the anti-history and the unrealities involved in so much of what you were just talking about there. 
and everywhere I would be from the most radical grassroots and and very black nationalists and variations of, of radical isms on the left to more conservative spaces, uh, certainly. I mean, that's, in, that's where it's going to be at the most. <laughs> well, it, I mean, but that's not the truth, though. That's actually not the case, though. The, oh, wow. the myth of buying, but the, the buying power mythology runs the, the black political gamut. Wow. So so and that's part of why I wanted to to look into it, because I was mm. wondering how is it that so many people from so many different perspectives can all be pointing to this claim? And I began to notice that none of them had any sources or data to support it. In fact, all the data and the research supports the opposite, because all the data is very clear. And that's why in terms of the second edition, I'm very happy that uh, Der Professor Derek Hamilton wrote a short preface because someone coming from not quite my space in terms of, of, of left radical politics, but somebody who's certainly a national leader in terms of the issues of race, class, and economics, someone who has been uh, at the highest of heights working with uh, um, uh, presidential administrations on their economic advisory teams to being the Henry Cohen Professor of Economics at, at the New School in New York. I mean, this is a big name. Yeah. So for him to basically say, Importantly for me, selfishly, Jared is right. And then and then, you know, like and then to, to encourage people to check out the, the 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 deeper meaning of the work sort of is 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 why I was doing it. So so and 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 one of the reasons I think that he was willing to publicly associate himself with my work was that he recognized that this mythology does pervade across the political spectrum. So Historically, everybody from, you know, one of the few, my joke has been that one of the few things Du Bois and Garvey did agree on was they both misunderstood the mythology around buying power. Mm. Malcolm X, Dr. King to variations in varying degrees at varying times bought into it. The Nation of Islam, the NAACP, the Urban League, uh, black capitalists, including the people that we, we lampoon a little bit, like on Earn Your Leisure and Million Dollars Worth of Game and all these other famous podcasts, they parrot the same mythology. And and if if anyone notices, as I started to and start, and that's why I wanted to write the, the first edition, was to that that again, there there are either no sources cited for the claim, or the source that is cited is is down to one one dominant source and by now three sources so to speak sort of dominate the 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 landscape in terms of promoting the mythology but all of them use the same flawed methodology all of them are in, uh, uh, inaccurate and all of them misrepresent the reality which is just simply that buying power is not a measurement of the actual economic condition of a community it's a, a measurement of what marketers and advertisers hope to be able to capture in right. terms of ad revenue. So it's, and it's not based in income or wealth uh, statistics. It's not based in, in actual markers of, of an economy. It's based in what they say in their own data estimates and projections. So it's, that's it's why I wanted to write it's, the book. It's, yeah. it's based on the power to liberate the companies who own toaster makers. That's right like, to enrich them. That's right. That's that's it. Like this, the the power there is not based on the people who are spending their, you know, um, their buying power having some power within them while spending it. It's about 
the power accrued from the people to the people who are enriched by the money that we ultimately have to spend, right? Um, that's that that's the, the 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 crux of it to me. But I do want to talk about these sources because mm-hmm. um, I think that's the most interesting part. It's like there are these sources and who the sources are actually doing their studies for. The studies are for marketers. Mm-hmm. are for people who are selling things the studies don't exist to be like hey black people hey latin people hey asian people here's the power of your dollar the studies are born of um a need to educate marketers on where they can better place their resources to capture more of an audience or more consumers so please talk about these studies dr ball so and we can come back to some of the details in, in, in terms of this, but but I, I want to highlight this this point before I, I speak specifically about the, the 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 sources that the mythology works to negatively impact how we understand how the economy works and everybody's role in the economy. And that's how it's in part how we end up with so much confusion around well, black people should do what Jews do. Uh, and there's confusion around what Jews have done. <laughs> uh, you know, so there's all kinds of confusion around all of that. And, and it's it's based on a series of, of mythologies. I'm, I'm really just pointing to one aspect of this problem, which is really a subset itself of a broader black capitalist illogic. Yeah. But uh, um, but specifically, it's the, the these reports really they initially and I, t- I trace some of this history in the first edition, but they or both editions, but but the the, the in the book, <laughs> but they 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 essentially come out of the, uh, an arrangement between the political and economic elite around the turn of the 20th century. And the goal was to make sure that they could pay working people enough to buy the products that they're producing, but not mm-hmm. enough that they wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't um, be, become more powerful and demand more. Uh, they wanted to keep working people from going on strike and not earning enough and and saying, hey, we're not making enough money, but they also obviously didn't want to pay them enough to cut into the profits. They just wanted to figure out how do we figure out exactly what to pay people so that the economy keeps going. This is particularly now a 70% consumer-based economy, so we need people to earn enough to spend, not earn enough to become rich and wealthy and to start businesses (laughs) that will threaten the existing (laughs) business community. No, 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 no. Just so you can keep and not get too upset so that we have enough at each paycheck to go out, hang out, get get some clothing, whatever we like yeah. to do, whatever, so that just enough so that we don't say, hey, wait a minute, <laughs> they got too much, I don't have enough, I need to rebel. Yeah. After the Second World War, this became weaponized in a whole new way, as did all forms of propaganda, as the United States wanted to, to solidify itself as the singular dominant source in the world and promoting itself with this new American democracy attached to capitalism, uh, uh, that was the goal. So uh, as a a subset of all of that, and to stop black rebellion or to to blunt it as much as possible, as much of this this black capitalist fantasy and mythology got got developed, the marketing community started to interact more closely with black businesses and encouraging black commercial media, all of this started to emerge into a sort of what we see today, where this is really just a kind of unfortunately disgusting, incestuous relationship of, of black commercial media, commercial media in general, 
advertising revenue, determining content, and on and on and on, leading us to where we we the goal is to promote. Uh, uh, this kind of mythology that you have a black audience that will buy the products that advertisers will then want to spend money on your, your media to promote and so on and so forth. So the sourcing for all of this, of course, comes out of uh, a group initially in, in its modern sense, most modern sense, starting primarily in the early 1990s from a group looking to help businesses in Georgia. And that's what the Selig Center uh, uh, um, uh, for, for economics in, in Georgia uh, uh, was developed to do, to say, okay, Georgia, Georgia's businesses need help attracting audiences and capturing markets. How can, how can the Selig Center help them do that? Let's promote reports about consumer spending and where are black people spending their money and they're spending their money. And if they can sort of say, well, we're basing this on some surveys and extrapolating. We can say black people are spending X amount on this product. Well, the owners of this, the makers of this product should spend this amount of money advertising. So the goal has always been to this day from the Selig Center to, to be an aid to business in the corporate world. Nielsen got involved and now the, 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 the other third player today, most pro, pro, predominantly is the McKinsey Group, which has its own horrific uh, uh, history in terms of, of, of helping business exploit working people. Uh, uh, so they've all gotten involved, but they're, again, as you've already said, they've, they're doing this not to help black people understand the economy or how black people fit into the economy. Their goal is to, to get marketers to find ways to get whatever they can ex to squeeze out of the black community for, for, for revenue uh, uh, and so on. So, so, that's part of the problem. And because reporters don't do their homework, journalists don't read the fine print. People don't <laughs> actually get the studies that they, that they claim that they're referencing uh, um, uh, or they don't reference anything at all. Uh, they're just pulling numbers and, and regurgitating something they heard in a soundbite because so much is, this is what creates the echo chamber that makes so, it, that, that that creates the problem that I'm trying to address. And to to visualize this, I want people to understand how this works in in practicality, right? Like how this practically works. Meaning, they put out this study. They'll say, "Yo, Rihanna, Fenty Beauty. Black people have to buy Kylie and Maybelline. Those folks make like one black shade for all of black people." And it's the only thing that they have to buy, but they're buying it. Rihanna, when you come in and you add eight black shades, you're going to make money because they're already buying an inferior product. You can come in. There's, there's buying power there. Go in and make a better product for these black people, and they're going to buy yours. So now, black people have better makeup. But they did not become more empowered. <laughs> you understand? Like this. And is, at the end of the line is not... It, it, it's at best, at best you would ever get, and this is not the case with Rihanna, is a black owned company. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and usually and, that's not the case. So, and, so, but the point being that if you have a black owned company or a black elite, how does that help anybody? Because the data is clear. Black people are, 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 uh, uh, in, in a devolving condition economically with wealth heading to zero. So there is no, it, it doesn't, it, the, the, the uptick in a few black billionaires or a, a few more black corporate e business elite does not correspond with the community rising. In fact, quite the opposite. It corresponds with the community's 
overall condition devaluing, deteriorating. Uh, and none of it is leading to more political power, which is what I'm ultimately arguing we should be trying to achieve. So, and which is what I'm also arguing the mythologies around the economy, including buying power, are, are encouraging us to not focus on. Exactly. Um, and, you know, at the end point, again, like I like I see I didn't even know that Rihanna's company was not backed by some, you know, I've never really done the the homework on that. But just knowing what I know about certain black companies like, say, and listeners have heard me say this Rock Nation, they don't pay nobody. <laughs> right so it's not like jay-z he's one of the fucking he is one of the kings of this and we'll get into jay-z about this black pine power nonsense but the the end result is not going to be some company with incredible black union jobs with pensions that you know enrich a, a huge swath of people in this industry to go out and have dignified work and live dignified lives no, it's just like a couple of more black people get really rich and them and their families become rich and they enjoy it. And, you know, they have cribs in St. Bart's and Beverly Hills and all that. And good for them. But it doesn't ultimately mean anything for the masses of black people. No. And, well, and, and, and yeah, just go ahead, yeah. one more thing with the Jay-Z thing, because like he's he's put this in rhyme. And it's one, it's one of the rhymes that Jay said that I'm just like... This is like so disgusting. Um, I forget the song. It's on the 444 album. And he says, um, at the end of the line, he says, and y'all still drinking Perrier Jouet. We still ain't get through to you yet. Meaning, you guys still have the unmitigated gall to go to the liquor store and buy Perrier Jouet champagne when you want a quality champagne and not my Ace of Spade. Because obviously... Just buying Jay-Z's Ace of Spade is a liberatory act, Dr. Ball. It's a radical act to get drunk to Jay-Z champagne rather than Perrier Jouet. And it's like this browbeating and guilt-tripping about like, this is why we're not liberating because you're not buying Jay-Z's fucking champagne. First of all, just a quick Google search. If you look at the Wikipedia page for Fenty Beauty, its owner is 50% uh, uh, the LVMH Moet oh, yes, Hennessy Louis they, Vuitton they company. They come in and do that, yep. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you know, I mean, you know. <laughs> you know. So same <laughs> like thing with all these the liquors. I mean, in the world, yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's um, yeah, it's marketing that ultimately does nothing different than has always been the case where black image and, and popularity and, 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 and blackness itself is marketed as cool, as what is hot and fresh, but it's ultimately a front for, for the same uh, white business and existing corporate capitalist extractive colonial setup. So uh, Jay-Z, look, I mean, he's, uh, and I added a little bit more in this second edition, but Jay-Z figured, I mean, I've, I mean, he's been my biggest contradiction up until the Black album, at least. Uh, whereas I was, you know, a huge admirer and listener to his, of his of his music, and and uh, but at the same time recognizing the message and the content is a mess. So he, so uh, uh, on the you know I mentioned the story of OJ and on the four from the four 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 album, um, which I looked up. I didn't really. I thought he was making some reference to some biblical something, but it has nothing to do with anything deep. It's just numbers yeah. that they like. They just yeah, like the numbers. That's it. That's you know, it. You know, 40, 40 yeah, club. There's nothing to it. 
Yeah, that was like he's not even attempting. December fourth, September fourth. December fourth, September fourth. Yeah, right, all of that stuff. There's yeah. nothing special about and the it, number. <laughs> so I did, you know, so so, but but he he does he's he has always been a promoter of entrepreneurialism and black capitalism and this idea that that there is a hustle to be made and taken advantage of, but the rest of us are just slow. So whether you know when he was you know. I was drinking Cristal when you thought it was was beer. I was rocking platinum when you thought it was silver. You know, like all this kind of stuff. It's like, yeah, we get it. You the you the you the man. Um, but at the same time, he's promoting a fantasy. So he he if it, it, when he starts to uh, try to merge, which is the intent, and this is something I do try to point out in the book. This is the intent of the propaganda to make black people think that poverty is the result of choice and decision-making yep. and bad finance, you know, financial illiteracy. Whereas and something I wish I had picked up before I finished the book, uh, some work from professor Max Haven uh, in Canada, who was talking about the colonization of indigenous people and the use of literacy, both in terms of written and language, but also in terms of financial as part of the colonization process. So I've always, I've for years been talking about how financial literacy is a, is a euphemism for, uh, you know, defending capitalism and helping you misunderstand the economy. But I really do like it better to think that financial literacy is a euphemism for colonial expansion and conquering. It's meant to, in the, in the same way you conquer someone and make them learn your language is a way of totally collapsing their worldview. Uh, language is a symbol, symbolic representation of a, of, a, of a culture and a worldview. So if you, if you, if you can uh, um, uh, impose literacy of of your worldview as a standard for civilized and advancement, yes. it legitimizes so same, it. In and the, the same thing the happens now. You're indoctrinating essentially when you say, and the same I'm, thing "I'm teaching you, I'm making you literate in this fucking capitalistic system." It's like, oh no, it, you don't. It's 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 a way of you don't even question its legitimacy. It's like, no, it's something I need to learn. <laughs> and the point being, though, that it's not. It, it becoming literate in capitalism is to be illiterate in an understanding of the economy, how it works and how it's exploiting someone. Mm. So in other words, it's not an exploit. So the only real way again, uh, so, so I've tried to joke that the only way to be truly financially literate is to, to understand that capitalism must be destroyed to teach people what is popularly known as financial literacy, which is to, is to make people function properly within capitalism. It, it also promotes the idea that capitalism can work for you, that it can solve your economic problems uh, uh, when in fact it creates them. And that's the hustle here. So instead of being critical of the system and explaining how it works, we are constantly being told that no, 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 you are just not, understanding how it works and taking advantage properly of all this opportunity. Yes. And, and what's important there is like, you're not understanding how to exploit people yet. Um, what's, what's left unsaid is that if everybody became sentient capitalists, um, there would still be people who got exploited. <laughs> like that's the, that's kind of the point of it. Like it, there, there's no way for there not to be exploitation in the system because it's baked in. So even if everybody became sentient, you know, arc capitalists, we would still end up with a group of people who just didn't make it, who just didn't I mean, climb over. I mean, again, 
poverty is created, wages are suppressed so that other wages can be paid lower. So if you, you know, they're always telling particularly black people start a business. Well, if everybody starts a business, who's going to work? Who's going to work? That's the, that's the easiest, like, even with, you know, one of these things is like real estate, real estate, real estate. Well, guys, you can only live in one fucking location for real. If you have four properties, um, eventually in order to make your money work, you're going to have to get tenants who you are going to then what? Exploit. You're going to make them pay you more in rent than you pay in a mortgage. Thereby, they're not paying a mortgage. They're they're losing. They're getting exploited. Like, like there has to be renters. There has to be tenants. If ev everybody can't become a real estate mogul. So how is this a liberatory, you know, idea? Nobody ever sort of answers that question. No. So that's one of the points that I, I, I in fact, in the second edition, I, I added a little to, to make the point a little more clear about in terms of Jay-Z. So Jay-Z in the fourth, in that old story of OJ talks about not taking advantage of the fact that he should have at one point bought a uh, property in, in, in Marcy. The, well, the Dunbo section of, of Okay. Yeah. Of, Dumbo. Of he Brooklyn, could have been right? at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. But, what he doesn't do, and I, so I added a little bit of this this in there. What he doesn't mention is the fact that before Jay-Z was born, I forgot the man's name is in the book. I can't remember his name now. But before Jay-Z was born, almost all of that land and property was bought up by one developer. So in other words, even if Jay-Z had magically had the money to invest and had the wherewithal to, to do that, it would have already been bought up. So, so that's the point I'm getting at. The the land and the stock is already divided up. We already have, we've already, you know, this is why George Jackson was asking 50 years ago, what good is the vote after the fact of monopoly capital? Yeah. The accumulation of wealth has already occurred. The one-tenth of 1% already have everything. So this idea that poor people in mass, now obviously a handful can do this and that, but this yeah. idea that poor people in mass are going to flip houses out of their poverty and 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 buy real you know and and you know invest in art and you know like Jay-Z suggests and 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 take a, a blockchain class and Marcy projects like he set them up with Jesus to get Christ. out of poverty. This is myth this is nonsense. This is nonsense. So and the goal of which again is to make sure that we are discouraged from radically politically organizing to achieve political power, which is which is now that's another discussion that's often misunderstood as well, but that's really what all of this this uh, confusion is is meant to do to keep us away from thinking about. So listening to you guys the other day, I thought you saw, said something really profound, um, and you were like you were explaining a study that showed um, between black and indigenous people. I think they like they're the under black and indigenous control combined is like 11% of the sort of money. Right. So let's just say, let's just say the blacks and indigenous people decided they wanted to come on one accord, Dr. Ball and wield this financial might collectively. It's 11% of the financial might. You're getting crushed. Like this, like that's the, that, that is the most, that was, I don't want to say it was a eureka moment, but it was just such a like, 
bro, like even if we took this thing to its logical end point where we picked up our baseball bat, right? Um, of black buying power, we just started wielding it and swinging it and cracking skulls. Like we would just get massacred with an Uzi machine gun of wealth from the other side. I mean, I, I forgot the yeah, I remember what you're talking about. I don't remember the exact numbers, but but you know, I've already showed up in, in the in, in, in just in terms of the claim of buying power, the art at its height, black people only had, I think, eight percent of the nation's buying power. So even if you're gonna use that as a measurement and talk about what can be done, it doesn't and and, and I and I also uh, I know I mentioned a little bit in the book about if uh, the 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 collective strength of the deposits in all of the 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 so-called people of color banks that if you combine some, somewhat to, similar to what you're saying which you were talking about us talking about which the specifics of which I don't remember at this moment but if you if you if you collapse into one bank all of the black owned Asian owned Latino owned banks and put them into one bank, it would it would still not be, it wouldn't even have the deposits of just one of the top 10, I think, or top five, I forgot the exact biggest banks. So in other words, again, the accumulation of wealth is so far out of whack. There is not any pooling of resources that's gonna close the gap. There is no, we can do better and be smarter with our, our money and our businesses if you know the other by the way the other my other favorite statistic that i learned in the last couple of years is that if if uh from 1992 to 2012 black people created over 2 million businesses and and lost the amount of capture of the national revenue spent on, on sales in a given year down from like 1% to like 0.3% or something like that in other words, you know, even creating more businesses, they're not in the in the they're 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 not able to compete with existing businesses, and they're they're capturing less of all that is spent on business than than before. So well, and and I think that's something you talk about. It's this I, like if like the reason why this can't be the route is you create a successful small business, and you want to scale it. You have to go then get funding and resources yeah. from who? Who like who do you think you're going to get this investment from in order to scale it? So you're going to get the money. You're going to get the capital from the capital class, the rulers of our existence. They're not they're not some liberatory bunch. No. Right. Um, and, and that's why and that's why I want to pivot what you're saying to this this concept of this being a distraction away from achieving some level of collective political power, um, because and I know I get it. Unions aren't the be all and end all. But in conjunction with, I don't know, the things that turned white people into the greatest middle class of 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 mankind ever government funding. I mean, like in conjunction with those things, which would essentially be a sort of wealth transfer. Like these people got their loans in Levittown, Long Island subsidized by the government. The government handed them wealth. They subsidized these cribs so that they could afford them in Levittown, 
They told niggas they couldn't move in. <laughs> like, no, you, you got to go live in Roosevelt. You got to go live in all these other places on Long Island. You're not going to live in nice Levittown. Wealth was accrued. So there's like steady wages, right? Um, healthcare, all of that thing. You like, you, you can't go bankrupt from getting sick or something like that. But it's also the government, the richest entity in the world, <laughs> investing and transferring our fucking wealth onto us. Like, I feel like a lot of black people think that government funding has cooties. Whereas somehow it doesn't have cooties when we subsidize Tesla. It doesn't have cooties when we invent a fucking white middle class out of whole cloth. It doesn't have cooties when that happens. But if a black person takes a government dollar, it's somehow disgusting. And I think that's what perpetuates this myth that like we are we somehow already have all the money we need as a black people. And we just have to point the money weapon in the right direction. So I just happened to to have started reading an older book recently called Selling Free Enterprise. And the point of the book, like several others that I've talked about, and is that the conclusions you're talking about people being having reached in terms of we got we can't be, you know, government is bad and we gotta do business and we gotta, you know, bootstrap and work hard and all that's propaganda developed intentionally over the last 50, 60, 100 years. So by the business community, because of to 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 respond to what you were talking about in the 20s, 30s, 40s, and even into the 50s, unionization was huge. The labor movement was powerful. A lot of people were joining the Socialist and Communist Party. A lot of people were doing all kinds of things. Um, so part of the 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 and the 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 beauty of this 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 hello listener. Guess who's back? It's me, Anthony Mays, your favorite butcher turned podcast producer. And I'm here to talk to you about ButcherBox. ButcherBox is the most convenient way to get high quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep, free shipping, vacuum sealed packaging. It's ready to go right then. It's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. Butcher Box takes all of that out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at butcherbox.com slash dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Really evil plan is that people over generations don't even see it happening. 
And that's why Mar Mar I can always quote Marshall McLuhan's line that we don't know who discovered water, but we know it was not the fish because <laughs> an all pervasive environment is always beyond perception. Mm. Over time, the messaging through education and media and news and, and all kinds of surreptitious means was, was developed, the, the, the messaging was developed to change people, to get them to look away, to, to say, no, unions are not good. They're gonna be, they're, they're gonna, you know, take away your this and their, your whatever. They're, they're gonna make your jobs leave the country. Uh, you know, you know um, you don't want the government to be involved. You want to, you know, businesses are good. Corporations are good. Unions are just lazy. They make workers lazy. All this kind of, you know, all this kind of stuff. And then you come with some targeted assassination, imprisonment, exile, uh, 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 red baiting and black jacketing and, and all of this stuff. And you have what you end up with is what we have today, a, a population struggling to break free from it, but still largely uh, captured by this idea that, that we don't really need a revolution. We don't really need that much change. We just need ourselves to be better. Uh, or, or we need that group to stop doing something to, you know, in other words, you know, we need the immigrants to stop taking our jobs. We need the, the whatever, 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 whatever blame is being assessed any uh, away from the actual owners of the economy. And it's, it's, it's been remarkable. I mean, you could put stuff in movies, a little line here in a comic book, a little line here. I mean, just over time and people will start to slowly, slowly, uh, uh, you know, get to the point where, again, you know, speaking of all of that, we think that, you know, Wakanda is some sort of revolutionary, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so in other words, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, this is... On Wakanda. Well, but oh my, my point, God. though, is that I, I, really what I, I'll just stop here by saying, like, we really do underestimate how much effort has gone into yeah. those in power studying how to manipulate us. It has been a primary fear and concern of theirs, consciously, at least, for the last 100, 150 years. And they, mm. to their credit, have... I mean, they created the field of mass communication that I have a PhD in, specifically to learn how to mess with people. That's really the foundation of the field. They learn, I mean, they, they, they've spent billions in studies. They've, they've assessed and tested this out in a variety of ways on populations all over the world and brought it back home. Uh, uh, I mean, that, that's, you know, I, I mean, one of the lessons you can learn from the, from the foundation, the field of, of mass communication, just for instance, that, that tactics and psychological warfare used in, 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 in against so-called foreign populations were, were specifically developed and then brought back here and used against black and brown people and poor whites and, and indigenous for sure. And, and, and all to manage our public opinion. And as George Creel said, to conquer our convictions. That's what he said when he was asked, how did you convince white folks to go fight in World War I and die in trenches? Have you ever really, have any, like, like, have you ever really looked at World War I? They don't even well, make a lot of movies about it. But it's, you look, well, it's the first one. It's the first of the modern joints. And like, yeah, people thought they were going to be going into like bayonets and shit. But look uh, at how hard that warfare was that yeah. trench warfare that 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 was some of the worst and, and my point is what george creel was being asked is how did you convince white folks white men to go die over there 
<laughs> and and his line, one of his lines is in his in his post war explanation was we conquered their convictions, that that, and I and that line sticks with me because what is a conviction? It's like your most deeply held belief. core value or belief, and if it has been conquered by someone, who can make you in part say, man, I gotta go, I gotta go fight in this trench against who? Go, I don't know. Gotta go uh, kill the Jerry's. <laughs> and, and the same thing when I got sent to, to Desert Storm. Mm. At 17 years old, what 18 years old, what do I know about Kuwait? I mean, Iraq. Seriously, I was like, what What do I know? But here I go. I'm, I'm... Bruh, let me tell you something, Dr. Ball. Like, I'm, I'm actually here in Brooklyn right now. And, like, I think about the people that I grew up with in places like East Flatbush um, or Crown Heights even, what do those people know about Hasidic Jews <laughs> who live up the block? <laughs> okay. Well, here's what Please. they know, and th but this is actually a very important point, and this, and this speaks, you know, I, I've, you know, person, and I've dealt with this on 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 my show, and and I, you know, we um, we can well, go into all this. Well, just so the people at home know, although Doctor Ball does appear to be a black man he is half chosen person well you know let me tell you so, so i was going to get into that so i was going to and it's funny you say that because because i i literally almost once a year in my own classrooms watch students debate what they think i am and it's funny i'll just sit back <laughs> and, and they will sometimes really get into it like it, it because and, and and really and what's deep about it i know this is a, what it was deep about it is that because of my ambiguity people will read into me their, their they project into me Every onto time. me their own so people so so usually I'll hear somebody say no he's black cuz he looks like my father or he looks mm -hmm. like my uncle so they're thinking about their own family so of course I would have to be black cuz they're black and then other people who 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 whose blackness may not look anything like mine they're like nah nobody in my family looks like that he ain't black he's whatever <laughs> he's something else he is some some other but anyway but yeah, so so and 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 shout out to Brooklyn. My mother was raised in Fort Greene back 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 when Brooklyn had horse-drawn carriages and no paved roads wow. in the 30s and 40s. That's the Brooklyn she remembers. Um wow. But yeah, her side my yeah, my mother's family are are Jews, my father's uh black and 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 uh, and there's a book coming out by two former Wall Street Journal journalists who now teach at Yale, where I'm not sure how much it will be in there, but but part of my own story, I think, is going to appear in their argument because, because part of that is to say that if you track, even if you use my own family anecdotally, but but economists will often point to the Second World War and, and, and the aftermath as the true change in the economic whatever economic comparison and parallel there was between black and Jews at that time. So contrary to some popular mythology and, 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 you know, conservative theories, um, not all Jews are always rich. Not all Jews are involved in the power structure. Not all Jews are involved in ownership. Uh, so I used to joke that I was born to the last Jew that didn't own anything because we'd never had anything. We didn't, you know, never, we, we, we were, we were disavowed and kicked out of all the meetings, you know, the world ruling, like, you know, maybe my mother, you know, she, she betrayed the race when she got with my black father, but anyway, but, but, 
But the real point is, is that is that because of the after because Jews were were given access to the GI Bill and VA home loans yeah. at, at rates black people were not. That's where the paths diverge. So both my Jewish uncle and black father fought in World War II, um, but my uncle got the 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 VA benefits that allowed him eventually to and I think this is great, move from being a bootleg liquor runner for Meyer Lansky in the, in the Jewish mafia to coming back from World War II as a war hero and buying property that would eventually sell for, after his death, more than half a million dollars. I think they bought this place in, in Long Island for, I don't know, 30000 15000 and then it sold for half a million. My father... A very different story. Ends up in D.C. with a very different economic condition. Not, not, not the worst, but certainly not the same, and certainly not with property values like that. In part because black people didn't get the same access. So, so my point really is, is that a, if you look at what Jews did in this country, they did what a group of semi organized and uh, culturally and politically and even geographically intact people who could access a whiteness and a white supremacy, not quite like Gentiles. Let's not, let's not forget Jews and Gentiles still to this day don't get along. And the only, you know, <laughs> let's yeah. just, you know, and I did lose a bet with my mother years ago where I, where, where I bet her that, 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 uh, a Jew would be president before a black man, and I lost that bet. She and to this day, there's still been no Jew president. <laughs> so, 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 so. Sorry, so, Bernie. <laughs> and don't think that wasn't part of it. Oh my God, he even Are didn't want to acknowledge me? it. But don't think that wasn't part of it. There was a good amount of people, even some good white folks, Dr. that were Paul, like, "I'm not. When, I ain't voting for when, no Jew." Whenever they're but, calling a white yeah. person loud, you know they're Jewish. Oh, he's always yelling. Oh, oh he talks with his hands. That's oh, interesting. He you talks know with they're his hands. talking about a Jewish person. <laughs> but it's listen, cold, <laughs> but we know what the fuck that means, man. <laughs> yeah. So, but so. Really, and I'm, I'm taking too long to get here, but really what I'm trying to get to is that that Jews have been able to access levels of access that black people have not gotten and cannot get. So, so A, people don't really understand what Jews have and have not been able to do and are and are not able to do, but also in trying to make these comparisons don't seem to want to at the same time acknowledge the particularity of black experience, but then want to also say, well, black people should still be able to do what other people did. No. Black people, because of the particular experience of blackness and black history in this country, have not and likely will not, before some revolutionary process, be able to do what other groups have been able to do. So to the extent that Jews have accessed this society's ruling elite, black people will not have that opportunity because black people are not Jews. Black people cannot be Jews. And, I, and then really, if we look at it, to what extent would we want to mimic that as black people? Why would... Why would that's and so the last the thing, before, before I yeah, stop, though, let me, because I don't want to miss this point, because you, you mentioned something, and this is really it. You said black people don't know Hasidic Jews or Jews in general, and I would agree with that up to the point that we have to realize that, that, that where they do meet as communities is at levels of inequality and hostility. Yeah. It's a, the, the guy's my freaking landlord, and he's raising my rents, and he's never... Um, upgrading the facilities with these rent raises and blah, 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 which 
again, you know, just because I want to talk to you about something before we get out of here. Um, but it's another thing that another point that um, I thought you illustrated quite beautifully on the show when you were talking about um, the Hollywood Jews and their mm. ascension into elite culture. And you made the incredible point that like it was a conscious decision for them to be trying to assimilate and ingratiate themselves, or if not ingratiate, don't stick out like a sore thumb um, within the ruling elite. And no matter what their history was or their closely held beliefs, once you decide you want to become part of the power structure, you're going to be becoming conflict with Black people, whether you want to or not, because the power structure sort of you know, insinuates itself onto black people in a very oppressive way. And so that tension, whether Jews wanted it or not, once you make the choice that, yo, we want to be part of the ruling society, we're going to be in tension with them. And I would say the same thing applies to our fucking black elite. <laughs> like, I, I would say the exact same thing applies to them. They might as well be the Hollywood Jews, like Jay-Z and Oprah and Puff and Bob Johnson and, you know, um, that asshole real estate developer in, in New York who I'm forgetting uh, his yeah. name. What's his name? And he's the a mixed dude, dude too. He's a mixed oh, dude too. I can't too. stand he's, him. He's, 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 he's making my, my wing of the crew look bad. Yeah, he's, 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 yeah, what's his and, name? I forgot, I know you're talking about. I, I know forget exactly his name. About. He was like on Obama's economic commission, yeah. of course. Yeah, um, yeah, he yeah, made yeah. some he made some building called the Aspiration Tower, some yeah. crazy well, shit he, like that. I thought he did he make it or he's still trying to? I think I thought he's still he's trying, trying to, to, but the vision is that yeah. we're gonna get here's the here's the tweet, Jared. It's gonna be a special building. It's gonna be a building where the rich people, yeah. Are black. Yeah. Whoa. That's crazy. and that's gonna be a good thing. Yeah. You know, and that's um, gonna be good for everybody. That that yeah. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I do wanna um talk to you about this last thing about a sort of political awakening and black people and poor people, more generally speaking, um trying to do a more mass movement in that direction instead of trying to make money where it doesn't exist in black communities, becoming more politically sentient. And I think where I diverge mainly, because I think we agree on literally every th single thing else with, um, especially you and um, the Earn Your Liberation guys who I love. I love Geechee, um, Geechee Diallo. Diallo. That motherfucker <laughs> cracks yeah. me up. Diallo okay. is must see TV. I tell you, he, I mean, we he's he's our he's our resident superstar. There's no he doubt about cracks it. Cracks me up, and we a lot of times diverge polit um politically, but I think it's on the same thing. And I think I wonder if we're trying to be revolutionary or radical anyway in our um politics. I really wonder how we could do it in a race based way, because I watch racial elites, especially in the political realm, who have cropped up over the last 50 years. And to me, and maybe I'm wrong about this, Dr. Bowling, you could tell me I'm wrong and you could tell me there's a vision for it. And that's, that's why I'm asking you. Um, but I think the racialization of black politics have just made the differences in black elite and black poor bigger. 
meaning the benefits of that racial politics accrue at the top, right? Um, people don't realize this, but like the the difference between the 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 top blacks and the bottom blacks is higher within blacks than it is within whites, and to well, the data I've seen says the doesn't quite say that. It says the differences are the same mm. across all racial groups. That the, that there's a top ten percent uh, uh, across the board that relative to its own community has the same amount of the 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 wealth within that community. Sure, but the, what the, I would say, what I'm saying, the, what I'm the bigger gap would be between the black elite and the black the rest of the black community between the white elite sure, and the rest gotcha. of the white community. But the there there is unless I misunderstood you, but there's sort of a consistent 10% elite across the top of all racial groups uh, that have a bulk, have the, have the majority of, of the wealth within that community. Uh, yeah, but anyway, and, go ahead. Let me let you yeah, finish. No, Sorry, and go no, ahead. And what I, no I'm, I appreciate that interjection. Um, and I think that these race-based achievements always accrue to the people who are more proximate to power, right? Meaning... Affirmative action at Harvard is not going to happen for poor black Americans in Mississippi. That's never, ever going to be the case, right? But this is the shit that they're going to push that Joy Ann Reed is going to push on MSNBC. You know what I mean? And I think the, the sort of race-focused politics... I feel like it's doomed to achieve those ends no matter what. Tell me why I'm wrong about that. So I don't, I, 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 I wouldn't say you're wrong. I, so the way I've, co I've come to try to argue it myself is that, that uh, and, and without going too much into the personal biases, I mean, my, the fact that I'm race first, I, I think it shouldn't mean, or any, if anyone's race first, shouldn't mean that they, they're race only. Sure, and fair, to not focus facts. on class or to not have a class analysis is it, it, it's it is is totally inappropriate to anybody trying to have uh, real thoughts about freedom and equality. So ultimately, I'm with you uh, that 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 at a certain level, even if those even the hardest core nationalists of any background would have to, I think, come to acknowledge that for their own best interests, they're going to have to have some working class solidarity. There's going to have to be some class consciousness and, and solidarity with others to achieve what you want. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, we're all, I know it's cliche, but we, the world is connected. <laughs> Labor, I mean, Marx was right in saying that the workers of the world must unite. Uh, you know, we have nothing to lose but our chains. Because what we are not paid here impacts how other people are paid over there, how they're paid nice. over there impacts how we're not paid over here. So, so ultimately that has to be the case. So we can all retreat to our preferred races and nationalities and religious groups. And I have no, I'm not, I'm not, whatever people want to do with that is fine with me. As long as there's a class consciousness and an internationalism in the politics, I think we'll be all right. I don't need for us to all be friends. I don't need for us to like each other, or even want to live around each other, but we do <laughs> all have to make sure that we are equally benefiting from the wealth we are all creating. And all of us are creating that wealth. Every time you buy a stick of gum, pay your taxes, go to a movie, buy that $15 latte, pay a bill. You are performing what is supposed Economics. to be your <laughs> function in this consumer-based economy. So why are we constantly treated as being irresponsible when we go shopping? 
either if you don't go shopping, then there's nobody, the, the workers at the store don't have a job, the people making the clothes don't have a job. Now, if we want to reverse engineer the economic system in society and then reverse engineer the value of com consumer and redistribute the wealth and develop it differently some, in, in some other way, great. But as it's currently set up, consumption is essential, so it should be rewarded by the wealth that it helps generate being properly redistributed. Uh, so that we don't have the kind of inequality that we have now. We do not need, uh, 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 in terms of sports, we don't need owners. We don't need executive administrators at the extent that we have them. We don't need uh, commissioner, league commissioners, to, at least not with the salaries that they have. What we need is a redistribution of the wealth that all of us participate in, whether we consume just watching or whether we get a, because I saw Jordan play, I went and bought a basketball and went out to a court. That's consumption. I went out and bought new shoes and new shorts and a new T-shirt <laughs> and put my tongue out and did all that stuff <laughs> thinking I was going to, you know, I that was me consuming a media product, following my role, buying the products that were then advertised during the commercials and then reciprocating by promoting the league indirectly and the sport indirectly by going out in the field and playing with my friends and doing all this other stuff. And, and, and we and it. And, and, so why then? Should me and any other kid poorer than me at some local whatever, whatever, all the kids I know playing out there in Brooklyn in some park somewhere, why aren't they more well rewarded by having mm -hmm. their homes and their neighborhoods and their their communities refurbished and having all because all look at all that wealth that's being that's coming out of their indirect support for an NBA league. If you don't go out and play as a kid on the court, you don't. What did we all do? The first, first of all, my generation, the first thing we did, we said we saw Dr. J on TV and we went outside. Today, it's someone else. You saw Steph Curry, people still rest in peace. People still drop a shot to say Kobe. Yes. So, so we are taking their product back home and then by emulating it, promoting the product back again. Because what do we do after that? I got to go watch Kobe play again to see what he's going to do tomorrow. I got to go see Steph Curry play again. I got to go see LeBron play again to see what they're going to do so I can emulate it. And what are they? So we're all, anyway, my point is we're all participating. And yet only a handful of people get all the wealth from it. And then when we go buy the basketball and the headband and the jersey, we get told we're being irresponsible. And we get told that's why you're poor. Well, it, it, and the and best part about completely that backwards. People do scale back their spending collectively. There's a panic. <laughs> like every the, the fucking government and the powers that be is like, yo, we need to goose these people into spending their money again. It's like the, the weirdest fucking shit. <laughs> well, that's because we're in a consumer-based economy. If you don't go shopping, if you don't go to the restaurant, the so that's why I was telling, look, I got into this big thing with a conservative radio host. I think the last conservative radio show I did, the guy, cause the guy said, so the, so, so the, 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 the owner of the pizzeria shouldn't make more than the customer. And I said, ultimately no, because without the customer, there is no owner. When I buy a piece of pizza, I've, I've helped generate I'm as much a part of generation, the generation of wealth from that exchange as the person who made the pizza, as the person who owns the pizzeria, as the person that carried the pizza over to my table, as the people that made the soda that, that I drink along with it, the people who made the machines that put the soda, that put the, 
allowed for the soda to be distributed for the driver of the truck that drove the soda out there for the people that took the dough from the, the original whatever and drove it out to we're all playing a role here everybody <laughs> the people who live down the street who help pay taxes in the community that allows that pizzeria to have a place to exist even if they never walk in there and buy a piece themselves are part a part of the process of the wealth creation so yeah the owner should get their cut yeah the, the and everybody else should too to the point where none of us are suffering and if that logic is carried across the board it's it's a wrap and everybody's more or less good to go and then and then you don't have to have the levels of exploitation and then and then everything gets better because you have more people working less happier to be at their job benefiting more from their job so when you go into the you know the customer service is better because at the end of the day, even when I have a bad experience with the person behind the counter, I know that's because of some other force that has nothing to do with me. They're not mad at me. They're mad at everything else. I bet if they had health care, I bet if their wallet was fatter, I bet if they worked less for more. I bet if they had a vacation coming up next boom. week that they could afford. Or if they <laughs> just know? came back from back vacation, from, they were like, you know like, what? I'm so happy. Yeah. Come on in here, my man. <laughs> I got you. I'm so well rested and and I know I got another one coming in a few months. Yeah. Have a seat, my man. And <laughs> I'm only going to work a few hours today. And I'm right. going to go home to a nice place to live and drink clean water and have healthy food, have time to play with my kids. I'm going to have hey, I'm going to be able to take a nap today. Hmm. I'm going to be able to get a full 8 hours of sleep and get a nap and get some good food. And if I get hurt, have health care. And my child's going to good schools and they get the free education. All of this is possible. None of this is some fantasy unrealistic. It's happening in other parts of the world. So, so the, the only question is, and this comes back in, you know, to, to, the, to the small part that my book I hope to play is to say, we got to get past some of these nonsenses and mythologies that have been produced about how this world works that keep us from thinking about how much better it should be without us competing with each other to get there. To your point about getting back to a class, you know, question, that that's really, and you're right, you're not gonna see Joy Ann Reed. She may, she's more likely to be able to say somebody is a racist than she is to say somebody is a capitalist and they're exploiting us. <laughs> not happening, Boy, listen. not happening. It'd be her last broadcast. And, and I say this because, and I have to say this as a disclaimer, Joy Ann Reed is a bit of a whipping boy on this show because she represents like right. everything That's that right. I hate about the black elite. She's not um, the only one. You're she's right. not the only one, but like, it's like she's on a show that ostensibly is allegedly about politics yeah. and she... She represents herself to be a black voice. That's right. Meaning a voice for black people. And That's right. she will go on TV and say, black people don't care about union jobs. That's for white boys. She will go she on really TV say and say something she like said that. She said that. She the, said the, that. By percentage, the, 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 if I think it's, I'm sure it's still true. By percentage, the population, black women are the most involved in unions than Doc, anybody. Dr. Ball, she so. said that it basically it was, you know, it was during the, of course it was during the Democratic Party primary explaining why Hillary Clinton was more black than Bernie. Um, and, you know, essentially that, and th this is what that that statement was said in service of, of proving to people that Hillary had more qualifications to speak for or do for black people than Bernie Sanders, because Bernie Sanders is focused on unionization. 
and black people don't give a fuck about unions. That's essentially what she went on her show on MSNBC and said, essentially working as a Hillary surrogate, right? And, you know, uh, just full disclosure, I'm of Haitian descent, like the Clintons in Haiti, that's a whole like, so like, oh, I, I have my own like, just problems with them. And then, and, and then you just go with the, you know, the, this chick, cause As she's got hot should. sauce in her bag. And it's it's just wholly ridiculous. And, and, and I just think in, in the culture, man, the most prominent black people seem to be always doing the worst for black people, you know? Um, and, you know, people like LeBron, I think he's he's like a, a sort of special sort of case in the sense that I think he legitimately wants to do nice things for the people from his community who are mostly black. And like as somebody who grew up like homeless, living on people's couches, like he has a healthy appreciation and understanding for it. But, you know, I remember during that unionization drive in Bessemer, Alabama, and, you know, it's like a really fucking black Amazon warehouse, right? Um, a lot of black women. And I was just saying, I remember thinking to myself, man, wouldn't that be fucking cool if the NBA Players Association, a union, went out and sort of supported these people and publicly, forget financially, like publicly championed what they were trying to do. And then I remember, I'm like, yo, LeBron James is a fucking producer, he might want to sell something to Amazon Prime to make a show. He can't publicly be going against Jeff Bezos. That's not a thing this guy can do. And, and like, again, even somebody like LeBron or Colin, um, Colin Kaepernick, like athletes who I think they want to do the right thing. I think they just bump up against their own interests all the time. Well, and I know we're, we're about to wrap, so I'll just keep it short here. I, I think that that you're right. But I think that what is also at issue is that these athletes are not, they're not coming out of politically organized movements and spaces. They're not, in many cases, politically educated in the way that seasoned activist organizers and students of revolution are. So while, you know, they've been, you know, being, you know, student athletes and athletes most of their lives to expect that they would have the the analysis and the depth of understanding of of, of those who have spent their, that same amount of time while that they were in practice studying, reading, building an organization, practicing the art and skill of organizing. That's a different animal. That's a, that's different. So so I don't think it's fair to expect them to have the 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 most evolved political analysis, um, uh, and any more than it would be fair to expect someone who has spent the bulk of their adult life and youth in libraries or meetings or organizational spaces or universities to be as good as they are at the sports. Like you right. can't, you know, understanding history, race, class, and economics takes as much effort as it does to develop a good jump shot and to throw a ball uh, with accuracy, skill, and distance. You, 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 you know, it, all of it requires, you know, so, so we shouldn't disrespect any of these endeavors no, of by saying that, you know, because I'm smart over here, I'll be good over there, or because I'm good over there, I'll get that over there. So, so yeah. 
but yes, I agree that they come up they they come up with their own you know they 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 with their own contradictions and their own uh, um, biases. But but also I don't they're not being taught. They're not being yeah. supported. I mean, they're being taught. Organized they're, 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 being, they're being taught by Bob Iger and, and well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Not by organized <laughs> radicalism. That's what I was saying. That's what I was saying. That's right. That, they're, that's you know, who so. they're being anyway. taught by. But yet, Doctor Ball, man, I really want to thank you again for for coming on the show. Obviously, I really enjoyed the dis discussion. I love what you guys do at Black Power Media. Make sure y'all go subscribe on YouTube to what those um, brothers and sisters are doing over there. And again, the book, we're going to have the link in the podcast description, as well as on the YouTube feed. The Myth and Propaganda of Black Buying Power, the second edition is out now. It's out Can't now. And people can go to imixwhatilike.org and get all that they need. And if if, if this comes out in time, uh, come through July 1st. You're all invited to the virtual book launch we're going to have oh, yes. Saturday, July 1st. Uh, at 7 p.m. on the channel uh, and it might dovetail with a live event we're having like hangout we're having at the house so it might get a little wild over here but but uh, uh, come through and and you, you know if you don't have the book by then you you know I think I think we should be able to be giving away free copies and some other wow. prizes or, or offering people the chance to buy the book and have the money go to some other good you know uh, uh, you know, so anyway, just come through. Just come through virtually, uh, whether you, whether even even after the fact. If this comes out later and people want to come after July first, come on through uh, and check out what you missed and, uh, uh, and and get a copy of the book. And thank you very much. I appreciate you. Of course, um, that's our show for today. Make sure you become a Patreon at patreon.com backslash count things. That's how we're able to produce all of this wonderful content for you guys. We'll see you guys next week. Peace. <laughs>